Hello, and welcome to the Abundant Life Church podcast and sermon archives. If you would like more information about our church, you can go online to alcalabaster.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you, and please enjoy this week's message. Starting with verse 11, I will read 11, 12, 13, and 14. Some of this will be familiar. I read this last week. This is... Jeroboam the prequel. This is what happened before what I preached about last Sunday. Verse 11, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abezerite, and his son Gideon was beating wheat in the winepress instead of the threshing floor to hide it and save it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O brave man. Now then, in the Amplified, the word Lord, and I see on, in the King James, the word Lord is capitalized, capital, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. As we discussed last week, this could have a dual meaning. This could be the angel of the Lord, a special messenger designated to go speak to someone the word of the Lord. This could be a thanothony where God appeared in a human form to relay a special message to Gideon. So either way, it does not diminish the fact that the Lord spoke to Gideon. This was not secondhand information. This was not some precious saint of God bringing a word from the Lord, and I believe in that. But God had to convey, and you will see in just a minute why, God himself had to convey this to Gideon. Today, I want the people in this room to listen to what God is telling you. Amen. Praise God. And the Lord is with you. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O brave man. (laughs) Notice the wording there. He called Gideon, O brave man. But Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? Come on. Some of us need to get real with God. If you're with us, then why is my life in a shambles? If you are with us, why does it seem like a struggle every time I try to pray? If you are with us, then why is everything going wrong in my life? And where are all his wondrous works which our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us in the hand of Midian. This is Gideon talking to the Lord who just told him he was a brave man. And instead of Gideon just going through the motions, he decided to get real with God. Ha <laughs> ha. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this strength of yours. Maybe I missed something in the text, but that don't sound like a strong man talking to me. Is this all right? Gideon just said, I'm not strong. Last week we learned he was from the smallest of the rebellious tribes and he was from the smallest of the families and the smallest of the smallest family. And then he turns to God and God says, you old brave man. And he says, no, I don't have any strength. 
We are beat down. I am in... I am in a wine press trying to separate a little grain so my people don't starve. I am not a brave man. I don't believe everything is all right. Notice what God said. He saw Gideon not based on what Gideon was, but what Gideon could be if he decided to believe the report of the Lord and stand up and say, I'm not strong and I'm not brave, but if you said go, I'll go. Woo! Go in this strength of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian, period. Now then, let's take a breath and read the next sentence. Have I not sent you? <laughs> when God says go, we need to forget about all of our inadequacies and all of the training we don't have and where we wish we were. And he says go because God doesn't make a mistake. So when he said go, it was time for Gideon to go in spite of the way Gideon, view Gideon viewed himself. Amen. It's going to get better. Judges chapter 7, verses 9 through 14. I want to read those in just a couple of minutes. If you got your Bible, go ahead and turn there. I'll give you permission to get ahead of me just a little bit. Let's pray together. In the name of Jesus, God, we ask that you would help me convey what I believe you've given to me today. God, help us to understand. God, we'll praise you and thank you for it. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. This is the prequel to the message I preached last Sunday. In the sermon, this sermon, we will discuss the naming, naming of Gideon to Jeroboam. There's a lot of stuff that I want to bring out here, and I will try to move very quickly. Judges chapter 6 tells us the story of when God put the Israelites under the captivity of the Midianites, and this was a result of their sin of idolatry. The reason this bad stuff has happened to them, the reason they are in captivity is because they left the one true God, they got away from the worship of God, and they moved into the worship of Baal and false idols, and God had to punish His people to bring them back into fellowship with Him. Praise God. They were oppressed for seven years. They were hiding in caves. They were hiding in mountains and other strongholds. And when the Israelites would plant their crops, the raiders from Midian, Amalekite, uh, Amalek, and the other uh, uh, people from the east would come down with their camels and they would take everything that they had planted. They would raid their fields. They would raid their crops. They would take everything that was there that they wanted. They arrived on camels and they stayed until everything was completely gone and then they would leave, the Israelites would plan again, the raiders would come in and the cycle just repeated itself. Amen. It takes a while for some people to get fed up. This went on for seven years. I don't know about you, but the first time it would have got old to me. Seven years, 
But I believe the reason we had to wait seven years is because the people viewed themselves as Gideon viewed himself. As we are beat down, we are struggling. God is against us. There is no hope. The Israelites were left impoverished. They had nothing to eat. The land was ravaged. Their lives were a wreck. They were down and out. They had no hope. But God responded to their cry for help, and he raised up Gideon as a judge to free them. Verse 11 tells us that Gideon was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. And I want to draw our attention to this verse because it's very important for the rest of this sermon. A wine press is a pit or a large vat where grapes were collected and the juice was squeezed from them either by hand or by, by tromping on them with your feet and then all of the juice would run out of the grapes into a pipe and be collected. That is how they got the grape juice out. And this is the wine press. But Gideon is in a wine press sorting the grain and using the wine press for something it was not designed to do. Stay with me. Evidently, this wine press was a large one that was actually in the ground. And Gideon is in this thing threshing his wheat. A wine press in the Bible symbolically is used to express the wrath and the judgment of God against sin. <laughs> a threshing floor was a large rock that was out in the open. And the process was you would bring in the sheaves or the stalks of wheat. You would lay them on the, on the, on the threshing floor and you would either stomp on them or take something and beat them. And what you did is beat the, the grains off of the stalks. And then you would take a shovel or some kind of a rake and you would toss that up into the air and the wind would blow the husk off of the grain. The grain would settle. You'd pick that up, grind it, and make bread out of that. All right? The time that uh, Gideon was threshing his wheat was not the best time and the place was not the right place. He was in there hiding so that the enemy wouldn't know Gideon is getting grain to make bread. We'll go get his bread. So he's down in a pit doing what should have been down, done in the open. And no one else evidently has thought about this because Gideon is down there. He realizes I've got to make some drastic changes in the process if my family is going to survive. So he turned a wine press into a threshing hole and so that he would not be exposed to the enemy. We should never be afraid to turn an altar from a place of repentance and outpouring into a place of rejoicing and thanksgiving. An altar has a dual purpose. It is where I met God. It is where I fell on my face and said, God, I am a sinner far from home. And I cried and I said, God, forgive me, but I can't stay at the altar in a sense of mourning forever. There's gotta be a time that I accept God has forgiven me and I arise and turn an altar into a place of rejoicing and peace and happiness. It was at the cross where I saw the light, but it was at the cross where I renewed my commitment and I got my joy back and I got my peace back. Woo! Because I turned my place of mourning into something that was going to mean something in my life. The problem with people today is they're using less, they're afraid to use less than favorable conditions. 
to do something the kingdom of God. And they use this as an excuse. They're not doing anything yet because they're waiting on the perfect condition. I'll, I'll form a prayer life when I have time in my schedule. I'll read the Bible when they come out with the Southern English edition so that I'll understand it. I'll start attending every function at church as soon as everything lets up in my life. I'll do this or I'll do that. There has to come a time when we want a deeper walk with God and we say the conditions are not perfect. My life is busy. I've got stuff going on everywhere. The kids are pulling me in different directions. But the Word of God is true. And I'm willing to make the sacrifice and turn conditions that are less than stellar in order to do something in the kingdom of God. If you're waiting on your life to get unbusy before you serve God, move on to something else. Amen. Praise God. We've got to quit using that stuff as an excuse. We don't have this, we don't have that, so we can't do this and that. There comes a point in time in our lives where you just got to stand up like a man or a woman and say, my walk with God is more important than that. My walk with God is more precious than that. It's called priorities. I don't think Gideon was a coward. But I think the oppression was so overwhelming that it resulted in self-doubt. After seven years, you start to believe the enemy is greater than us. After seven years, you get tired of going and planning stuff and the enemy takes it from you. After seven years, you start to believe what your folks around you are telling you. This must be our lot in life. This must be what God has for us. This must be where we're going to stay. But somebody's got to stand up and say, wait a minute. Do we really have to be run over by the enemy? Do we really have to struggle? Do we really have to do this? But God saw something in Gideon that made him choose him as the one to deliver his country. God saw a man who would not give up. <laughs> God saw a man that still hoped when there was nothing to base that hope on. He saw a man that went out and gathered wheat and took it to a wine press and said, all right, enemy, you won't see me down here. My family's not going to starve to death. I'll turn a place of mourning and wrath into a place of growth and expansion. I will turn something that you meant for bad into good. And God saw that in Gideon and said, where's everybody else that's got a wine press and never thought to use it? He saw hope in a hopeless situation. He saw just a flicker of faith in Gideon, and God said, I can use that. He saw a man who was suffering under the burden of the punishment of God, but still had not forgotten about the miracle power of God. Yes, you might be struggling. Yes, God, you might be punishing me for something that I did, but I'm not going to stay here forever. I'm going to move on into what you've got for me. This too shall pass. Gideon believed that one day we will be free. One day God is going to forgive us. One day God is going to see we're serious about turning back to him and things are going to be all right. I love this next part. Gideon earned the title Jerobel after he destroyed his family's altar of Baal. 
Please get the symbolism here. Please listen to this story. The name Jeroboam means Baal will contend. To create his Jeroboam, God sent the angel of the Lord to Gideon. As the angel watched Gideon thresh wheat in the wine press, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. What does a mighty warrior do? He goes out and fights. <laughs> mighty warrior doesn't sit at the house mully growing about how things are going to get better and I wish somebody else would do it. A mighty warrior straps on his stuff and goes to war. That night, after his meeting with the Lord, Gideon was ready to transform into Jeroboam. And following the specific instructions given by God, Gideon and ten of his servants tore down Baal's altar on his family's property and cut down the Asherah pole. Amen. And then Gideon built a proper offer to the God on top of the altar of the old God. Please get the symbolism there. There is only one city of alabaster. So when we tear down the strongholds, when we run the enemy out of town, it's time for us to build an altar to the God of Israel on the place where Baal used to have his altar because there is no God that can stand against our God. And we will show you, we will build on top of what you claimed. <laughs> Before we can build and plant we must first pull down and cast down. Before we can have victory, we must tear down the stronghold of the enemy and then build an altar of sacrifice to the one true God. We've got that reversed. We want to have victory without a fight. We want to take territory without occupying. And we want to go to a treaty instead of a war. Amen. Here's the great part of this. This shows you what's, what condition Israel was in. You think our world is messed up? Look at this one. The next morning, the men of the town discovered that Gideon had torn down the altar of Baal. And they were mad because somebody had disrespected their false god. These are children of God. These are Hebrews. These are Israelites. These are the ones that believe, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And they are building stuff to false gods. We tear down the stuff to the false gods. They get mad. The men went to Gideon's father and told, Gideon, told him Gideon had to die for what he did. And Gideon's father was evidently a wise man because Joash, the father of Gideon, could not believe what he was hearing. He basically used good communication skills and repeated what they had said back to them so they could hear it. And he said, let me get this straight. You're actually pleading the case of a false god. Sometimes people just walk right into the trap. <laughs> then he put some logic into the emotionally charged situation. Right? These people aren't mad. They are incensed. Your boy's going to die for tearing down our idols. And Gideon's father says, wait a minute. If he is a god, then surely he can defend himself against one common man. <laughs> 
Sometimes logic is the best thing to use because the enemy can't do anything with logic. If you are telling me Baal is a god, then can't Baal fight his own battle? Can't he destroy my son? I, why do I have to do it when Baal is the one that's in charge? <laughs> Woo. He went on to say, if Gideon needs to be punished, let Baal do it. So Gideon had a new name. He was known as Gideon, and he was known as Jeroboam. Gideon not only contended with Baal, but also the Midianites. And Baal never extracted vengeance on Jeroboam, but rather God poured out his blessing on a man who was willing to stand against popular opinion, that was willing to stand in the face of adversity and say, this is the true God of Israel. I'm tearing down this false idol mess. We're getting rid of that stuff. And I'm building an altar to God on that, and I'm offering a sacrifice. And if you're God, doesn't like it, let him deal with me. <laughs> Judges 7, 9 through 14. Allow me to read it quickly. Amen. Here we go. Now on that same night, the Lord said to Gideon, Arise, go down against their camp, for I have given it into your hand. Guaranteed victory. Right? I've already given it to you. However, God knows who he's dealing with. And he said, if you are afraid to go down by yourself, go with Pura, your servant, down to the camp, and you will hear what they say. And afterward, you will have the courage to go down against their camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the army that was in the camp. Now the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the sons of the east were lying camped in the valley. Listen to this. I know this is an embellishment and this is like a, a southern saying. Okay? Everybody nod your head. Okay. Listen to this. As countless as locusts. Sister Darla, he didn't say there is exactly 5,926. There was a bunch of them. The writer is trying to convey a thought here. Gideon was not fighting one man. He was not fighting a child. He looks out into a valley that is filled with men. And their camels were without number. Now then, we know that camels are not infinite. There's a finite number of camels. But I think what God, the writer here is trying to convey, it seemed like impossible odds. Let's just leave it at that. Amen. I went out and there's at least 11,000 of them. Now, it's easy for us to sit here today and kind of laugh about that, but have you ever gotten up one day and thought that every demon on the face of the earth had been loosed in your house? <clears throat> Amen. And you threw a number like, I think there's at least a million of them camping out in my yard. 
because I feel beat down. I feel oppressed. I feel depressed. There is no way I can do anything with this. We replay what Gideon said. God, if you are for us, then why in the world is my life like it is? God, if you are the God, then why is this going on in my life? Amen. As numerous as the sand on the seashore. But when Gideon arrived... There was a man telling a dream to his friend. And he said, listen carefully. I had a dream. There was a loaf of barley bread tumbling into the camp of Midian. And it came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. I've done enough camping to know flat tents are not what you want. Amen. So the tent is completely destroyed. And his friend replied, this dream, listen to this. I'm not sure how you get barley loaf rolling down the hill, flat tent, and go from there to where they went. Unless the God that spoke to Israel and to Gideon must have spoke to the enemy on the other end. Barley loaf, flat tent, big deal. <laughs> right? No armies, no horse, no weapons, no catapults, no howitzers, no bazookas, none of that. Barley loaf, tent, flat, boom. And the guy that interprets the dream said, this is nothing less than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given Midian and the entire camp into his hands. We are in trouble, boys, because I just had a dream that a barley loaf rolled down the hill and flattened my tent. And all of a sudden, the interpretation is, we need to get out of here because Gideon, the one with the sword, a mighty man of Israel is on the way. Boys, we're in trouble. There's an insecure Israelite that doesn't think that he's worth anything headed our way. <laughs> we need to start seeing ourselves the way the enemy sees us. The enemy does not see you as some weak, insecure something. He sees you as a mighty man, a woman of God. He sees you able to get the attention of the eternal God. He sees you. If you need a flood, God will send the rain. If you need a drought, God will dry up the rain. If you need a blessing, God will bless you in a bad economy. Now, let me try to tie all of this together. I hope this following paragraph, the next five or ten minutes of this sermon, will be an aha moment for somebody here today. The angel of the Lord called Gideon a mighty warrior. The enemy saw Gideon as a mighty man of valor. Notice the connection. And Gideon's in the middle saying, God, why did you choose me? I have no faith. Right? 
I looked around today. Our people are living like a bunch of animals in caves. We have no homes. We have no land. We have nothing. And I have no faith. But God looks down and says, oh, wait a minute. You've got at least a spark of faith. Because you went down with your, bar, with your wheat and you went down into a place that was not meant for that. And you got creative enough to say, if I can just get this done, if I can just keep the enemy out of here for a few days, I can create enough to let us survive for another day, another week, maybe even another month. And God saw the faith. It takes faith to go out into the field and reap something the enemy's coming to get. It takes faith to go down into the wine press and say, my God, listen to me, and say, this has never been done before, but I'm going to try it. And I'm not going to tell anybody because they'll give me 15 reasons why it won't work. There's no wind blowing in the wine press. The floor is sticky from grape juice. Come on, you're going to have to toss it extra high because it's got to get up above the lip of the wine press for the wind to blow it and do what it's supposed to do. So what we're going to do is sit here and tell you why it won't work. And Gideon says, I'm not listening to that junk. I'm going to try it because if I don't try it, we will die. If I don't try it, we won't ever do anything in the kingdom of God. If I don't try it, we will die here. And I refuse to die without a fight. So I'm taking my wheat to the wine press and I'm going to do something nobody else has ever done and see what God will do. Isn't that faith in the simplest of terms? Hebrews defined it as, right? Things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Right? That's what faith is. A flicker. A flame. The Bible says if you have faith the size of a mustard seed. I believe the implication there is if you just have a spark of faith. If after you get through with your pity party and you give all the reasons to God why it won't work, but you have enough sense to go out and take your, wine, your, your weed into a wine press. And I'm at least trying to do something. It feels hopeless. This feels useless. This feels like it's not going to work. But I'm going to do it anyway. Because at least I'm doing something. At least I'm trying. The angel of the Lord called Gideon a mighty warrior. Please stay with me. I'm going to try my best to convey to this the way I believe, convey to you the way that God conveyed this to me. It might sound better in my head than I'm able to deliver it, but I'm going to try. God called Gideon a mighty warrior. The enemy saw Gideon as the one who could defeat and conquer them. Okay? The truth of those two Observations is somewhere in the middle with a man called Gideon. 
who did not sign up to be a warrior, who did not think he was eligible, and he checked with God to make sure he was. Remember his conversation? You sure you got the right one? I'm from the tribe of Manasseh, the smallest of the tribes. My family is the smallest of the smallest of the family of, 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 of the tribe, and I am the smallest of my family. Small, small, small. You sure you got the right one? That's Gideon in the middle. You know why Gideon had that opinion of himself? Because we live with ourselves. Please, somebody hear me today. You know why you feel the way you feel about yourself? It's because you live with yourself every day. You see those weaknesses that you have. You see the insecurities that you have. You see the stuff that the enemy tries to pile on you. And there is nothing wrong with that. I am not preaching condemnation. But somewhere in there, we have got to get through with the confession part and say, God, if you still think you can use me, I just gave you all the facts. I just told you right where I am. I am insecure by nature. I don't think I have a lot to offer. My talent pool is inches deep and a mile wide. But in spite of that, if you tell me you can use me, then what I'm gonna do is get on my feet and start walking to the camp of the enemy and trust that you will take the care of the rest. I have nothing to offer. I am nothing without you. But if you will anoint me, if you will call me, if you will declare your plans for me, then I will get on my feet and start walking. My question to you is, where were all the warriors? Sitting at home telling somebody why it couldn't be done. Folks, they had seven years to figure it out. That's more than enough time. Where's the guys that were from the tribe of Judah and Benjamin? Where were the tribes from Ephraim? This blessing of the second son. Where were those guys? Sitting in caves, hiding from an enemy, wishing things were better. But here's Gideon going out into a raised field, finding what was left and saying, It ain't much. But you know what? Today, enemy, I'm winning. Today's going to be a victory for the good guys. Because I'm going to go to a place of mourning and a, and a, and a place, of, and a place of, of anguish and where God had wrath on people. And I'm going to take my praise. I'm going to take my praise down to a dark place where nobody's ever thought to use it for that. And I'm going to go down there with just a little bit of faith and say, God, I'm tossing some barley up in the, I'm, I'm tossing some wheat up in the air today. God, I refuse to let the enemy have everything that I've worked hard for. So I'm taking a little extra effort and I'm going into a place where the enemy least expects me. <laughs> 
When your life is in a wreck, the enemy never expects you to be at the altar raising your hands and saying, God, you're still God and you're still good and I'm gonna worship you and I'm gonna turn this place of mourning into a place of dancing. I don't feel like dancing, but I'm gonna dance anyway. I don't feel like worshiping, but I'm gonna worship anyway. I don't feel like being happy, but I'm gonna be happy anyway. I'm throwing some grain up in the air, and God, I'm gonna see what you'll do. They're not playing my favorite song. The singers are a little off key, but that's all right. I'm gonna praise you anyway, cause I'm tired of the enemy taking what he's taken from me. I'm tired of just sitting around and the enemy pillaging the stuff that I've worked for. try to wrap this up and bring it in for a landing. The way this works is God sees us as what we will be. You see, God has the advantage of looking into the future. So when he called Gideon a mighty man of war, God wasn't guessing. Brother Randolph, he hadn't went over there and put his arm around and said, if I speak positively to him, I can talk him into it. That's right. Gideon, I know you ain't much, but you're a mighty man of value. If I tell you that long enough, you'll start to... No, God said, I see you. Because I'm standing here looking into the future and I see you delivering Israel. God calls you what you are not what you will be because he sees everything right now. Now then it's up to Gideon to accept it. All right, so God sees us as we will be, right? Or if we're looking in the terms of God, no eternity, to what we are. All right, now then, here's where the enemy gets involved. He knows that if God ever speaks faith into you, and you start to believe what God is telling you, the enemy has enough sense to know that faith equals reality. Because he, he had already seen a bunch of misfit slaves come out of Egypt. <laughs> and with absolutely no weapons, no training, defeat the most mighty advanced army on the face of the earth. Amen. 
<laughs> I preached this one a while back. I preached it over in Georgia and it just blew the place up. We got happy. And I think she got a picture of me standing on benches and stuff. But it just got a hold of me that day. The Bible says, look in your rearview mirror. Somebody needs to hear this. And look at the army behind you. <laughs> because after this day, you will never see that bunch of Egyptians again. Is that what the word said? And they walked through on dry ground and the Egyptians got into the bed of the Red Sea and the Bible says in the King James Version, their chariots drave heavily. You know what that tells me? They bogged down in the mud, wheels fell off, the horses are panicked, trying to drag that junk out of the water and then all, all out of the seabed and then all of a sudden the water comes back over them and the, and the Israelites stand on the other side and look back and there's nothing but debris bubbling up and their enemy is gone. Some of you need to listen to me today. You've been delivered of some stuff. You will never see that bondage again. You've been delivered. You need to look in the rearview mirror and say, I will never see that one again because God has promised me victory. You might see some other trouble in your life. You might see some more Egyptians and some more warriors, but you won't see that bunch again. <clears throat> Today, the enemy sees what you will be when you start to believe what God has for you. In the New Testament, he saw a bunch of misfits. Come on. He saw guys that didn't have theology degrees. He saw guys that they're probably their age was anywhere from 18 to 21. Only one of them was married according to the Bible, so only one of them had any kind of stability. One was a taxpayer that was crooked. Amen. You would have had to screw him into the ground if he, if he died, he was so crooked. Can't even bury him flat. Saw a bunch of fishermen that cussed all the time. Saw a bunch of misfits. <laughs> but he said, if you'll follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. You will go down into the annals of history. You know what? They were just crazy enough to believe it. And the enemy saw that bunch of misfits <laughs> healing the sick, raising the dead, declaring, declaring, here, O Israel, you have seen him. I found him. You're looking for Messiah. I found him. You're looking for Messiah. I know where he is. You're looking for Messiah. I'm not a scholar, but I know who he is because I saw him. So here's where we are. You can stand. That's fine. I'm trying to wrap up. Here's where we are. We see what we are, and that's fair. Right? If you call me to do something I'm not comfortable with, I could give you every reason why I can't do it. Right? I'm not qualified. Amen. I'm not this. I'm not that. So I'm in the middle. 
But God sees me as I will be. If I can just operate on just a flicker of faith. Okay? Now then, on the other side, the enemy sees God calling me. He sees what I am. And he's hoping and praying, don't listen. But then, Brother Edwards, I raise my hands and say, God, I believe you. That's right. I don't have anything to go on. No, I still have every inadequacy, inadequacy I named. Yes. Right? right? Yes, sir. I didn't get a doctor of theology in 10 minutes. Right. So everything that you just told me about myself, or I told you about myself, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. Not a thing. No, sir. Still hopeless. That's right. Still helpless. Yes, sir. But God said, wait a minute. That's right. You're a mighty man of God. That's right. Mm. Right, right, right. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. God says, you're a mighty man of God. Yes, yes, yes. And the enemy is sitting over there saying, wait a minute. And then, Brother Edwards, I raise my hand and say, God, I accept it. I don't know how it's going to work out, but if you will anoint me. If you will anoint me, then I will go do what you have for me. And the enemy panics because walking toward him is exactly what God declared. A mighty man of the spirit because he's latched on to faith. And the enemy's got enough sense to know faith works. It's not by might. It's not by power but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. Without the operation of the Holy Ghost, none of us in this room are anything. Without the anointing of the Holy Ghost, there is no minister that can do anything other than deliver a nice speech. But when the anointing falls, people are transformed into something that they are not by the power of the Holy Ghost. Gideon was transformed that day. We're familiar with the rest of the story. He defeated defeated all those men with 300 men. I read the scripture last week where God said, you will defeat them as if they were one man. So really Gideon had them outnumbered 300 to one. I'm going to wrap up here. I've got to get this in. I've got to get this in. I've got to read you just a couple of more scriptures because if I, I believe so strong that if we can latch on to this, we are going to see something that blows our mind. All right, Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 10. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 10. Let me get there real, real quick. See, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to uproot and break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. (laughs) You looking for Bible? I just gave it to you. Before we can plant, before we can build, we've got to tear down. Amen. We've got to tear down. We've got to pull down. 
We got to pull down carnality. We got to pull down idol worship. We got to pull down all this stuff. And then once we get that flat, now then I can build. Right? And I can plant. Where am I building and planting? Where I tore the stuff down the enemy liked. That's right. All right, here we go. We have to destroy sophisticated arguments and every proud thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God. Then we take every thought and purpose into captivity. All right? 2 Corinthians. Let me read that real, real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 through 6. The weapons of our warfare are not physical weapons of flesh and blood. Our weapons are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying sophisticated arguments and every exalted and proud thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought and purpose captive to the obedience of Christ, being ready to punish every act of disobedience when your obedience as a church is complete. We have the spiritual authority to come against false doctrine. Not only do we have the power, I believe we have the obligation. Yes, sir. Amen. Sophisticated arguments, carnal thinking. Right? Yes, sir. When someone takes the scripture and perverts that to make sure it fits with whatever item they have or whatever thought they have. That's what that means. Take down these sophisticated arguments. And then when we have pulled down, cut down, cast down, then we have the power to build. The rest of the story is when Gideon and his men rolled into the camp. God gave them the great victory. And guess what, Brother Edwards? We can go out and plant our fields again. Amen. That's right. You don't have to be worried about reaping your harvest because they ain't coming back to steal this stuff. That's right. We defeated them. Amen. Right? But before we can get to that point, somebody's got to stand up and say, God, I'm going. Amen. There'll be sacrifice involved. There'll be some inconvenience. There'll be people that look at us cross-eyed. There'll be those who say that's not necessary. There'll be those who say it doesn't take that. That level of commitment's not necessary. But I say, oh yes it is. If I want to have the victory that God has for me, I've got to tear down. I've got to pull down before I can plant, before I can build. I've got to tear all that junk down and get it level and say, God, there's nothing standing between me and you. So now I'm going to build. Thank you for listening to our podcast this week hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online to www.alcalabaster.com and don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so that you will be automatically notified of new episodes. 
Thank you and have a great week.